I have to say, yesterday I was slightly concerned when it was raining, and I thought, as I was sitting in my office and there were drips all around me, and I thought, are we going to have church tomorrow? Looking at this ceiling, I thought, <coughs> if it's raining in the morning here on Friday, I imagine that it's all going to be a bit wet. But thankfully, God's been very merciful, and we're all here and we can meet. But I would say one thing. If you like rain, and everyone seemed to like it yesterday, can I make a recommendation to you? you think about moving to my home country, which is Scotland. Because in Scotland, it rains just about every other day. That's what makes us so tall, all that rain. For those of you that don't know me, my name is uh, my name's David, as uh, Matthew said. My wife, Jess, is sitting there, and you've probably seen our little one, Georgina, running around. So if you don't know me um, right now, you'll certainly know me after the service, after... Um, after hearing me speak. We're going to look at a great passage this morning. And just before we look at those verses, I want to ask you a question. Do you have a favorite film or a favorite movie, whatever you want to call it, or a book? And if you do, in your mind, when you think about that, generally it's not because the, you, you like the whole movie or you like the whole book. It's generally there's a part in it Maybe just a small part. If it's a book, maybe just one chapter or even one paragraph. But it steps out in such a way that when you read it or you watch it, you think, that is really, really good. And, you know, we've got a passage like that this morning that we're going to share in together in 1 Corinthians because it's one of those passages that just steps out and it says so many things about us and so many things about our Lord. Let's uh, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and we're going to read the first five verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And we'll talk about the background to this letter from Paul in in a moment. So reading from verse 1, And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence, All human wisdom, as I proclaim to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness and with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. What wonderful verses. How special. We're going to look at those together today. And probably good to know a little bit about the church in Corinth. Has anyone been to Corinth? Yeah, good one or two people have been there. It's now part of Greece, but at that time... It was a Roman city, and Paul knew it very, very well. He was there on his second missionary journey. And like many cities of that time that were built around a port, it was wealthy. If you imagine that here's a map in front of you, here's Corinth, and there's a sea above it, then there's a relatively short space of land, uh, distance of land, and then there's another sea below it. And because of its position close to it being a port and also being close to another sea, 
it was a place of great wealth, of commerce, of trade, of culture. And Paul knew this very, very well. He knew the place very well because he went there. In Acts chapter 18, we can read about that. And he established the church there. And he was there for about a year and a half. So he knew everyone. Probably a bit like if you were to come here for a year and a half and you were to leave, you'd know lots of individuals. And you'd have a good feeling for how this church operated and how it was. But here we have a problem. There's a problem in this church. And so much so that Paul decides that he needs to write a letter. And in this letter, he addresses many, many different issues about this church. We're not going to read all of them, but let's just look at a couple. He talks about foolishness. He talks about expelling immoral brothers. Lawsuits among believers. Marriage. Food. Sacrifice to idols. And so on. And there were all these things that appeared to be creeping into the church that Paul now sees, and he's so passionate about it that he writes them a letter, a letter to his old church. And if you look at commentaries on this passage, almost all of them point to one thing. They say the problem with the church in Corinth was pride. It was pride. Do you know what pride is? Lots of definitions for pride. I found a great one. I want to share it with you. This is a definition of pride. A feeling of deep pleasure or satisfaction derived from one's own achievements, the achievements of one's close associates, I think that could include family, or from qualities or possessions that are widely admired. Let me read that to you again. A feeling of deep pleasure or satisfaction derived from one's own achievements, the achievements of one's close associates, or from qualities or possessions that are widely admired. It's kind of speaking about us, isn't it? They're the things that we we take comfort in. So Paul, knowing about the church, knowing what's happened, decides to write this letter. And in particular, in the passages that we're looking at here, He talks about his own witness. And, you know, I'm so glad he has, and we should be thankful that he has, because this now gives us an example, an example that we should follow when we're dealing with the sorts of issues, the sorts of pressures, the sorts of uh, things that come to us in life. And he clearly spells them out in these five verses, and they're very, very important. And we could actually give it a title. We could say, this is what's needed to be a good witness, a good Christian witness. Paul outlines it. He's very open. He's very honest. And we'll look at it in a moment and see just how honest he is. And we sometimes, if we're truthful, we struggle to be a good witness. We might be a good witness here at church. We might be a good witness in our families. But it's very hard to do it all the time. But God's expectation of us is that we're not part-time Christians. We're not part-time witnesses. We just don't love him part of the time. He consumes us, and we're immersed in him constantly. So what does Paul do to try and correct this situation? Well, 
I think there's three things I'd like to share with you this morning. One is to be reminded that God will use us irrespective of what we bring to him. God is going to use us irrespective of what we bring. The second is that in God and in the person of Christ, we have everything we will ever need. And the third is that we can draw on the power of God. And all these are mentioned in these, in these five verses. So let's look at this first part, and we're going to read from verse 1 again, and then we're going to jump to verse 3. And Paul describes the person of himself as he came to the church in Corinth. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony of God. And down to verse 3, I came to you in weakness and fear and trembling. This doesn't sound like the Paul we know, does it? It doesn't sound like Paul the Apostle that's written most of the books in the New Testament. This doesn't sound like the Paul that was shipwrecked or that was beaten up and left for dead or that was imprisoned or that went on these huge journeys proclaiming the person of God and establishing churches. Here, he is open and honest with them and says to them, I came to you in fear and in trembling. Is that the same Paul? Is that the same apostle? It's hardly a qualification, you'd think, for proclaiming the word of God, to be a good witness. But it is the same man. It is the same person. Do you recognize anything about yourself, perhaps, in those verses? That sometimes we are fearful. Sometimes we are trembling. Sometimes we are unsure. Sometimes we don't have the right words or, or can say the right things. We don't have the eloquence, as Paul says. And he is open and truthful. And you know, the Bible's full of messages like this. This is the great thing about our Lord. He gives us lots of encouragement. And in Scripture, we, we get lots of encouragement. We've been, we've re, been reading recently about and studying about um, the book of Exodus. And what was Moses like when God asked him to lead the people of Israel? What did Moses say? Yeah, I'm not up for that. Get, get someone else to lead. That's not for me. And Moses hardly had a criminal-free past, yet God saw fit to use him. Who knows the story of, of Gideon? Anyone heard of Gideon in the Bible? He's a funny man, Gideon. He was harvesting, he was a farmer, or kind of farmer, and God approaches him and he's hiding in a wine press, which is a bit like a, it's a, bit like a, a hole in the ground. And he was hiding all the his harvest, as many of the Israelites were doing, because this band of roaming, this mob used to come through called the Midianites. And the Midianites came through and stole everything. And God says to, he found Gideon, he says, you know what I want to do with you, Gideon? I want you to stand up to the Midianites. I want you to go and stand up to them and show them who God is. Gideon was a bit like Moses, and he said, I am the weakest of the weak. That's what he said to God. I am the weakest of the weak, yet God took him and overcame the Midianites. Who knows the story of Jonah? We all know the story of Jonah, don't we? What a great story. God says to Jonah, 
you need to go to Nineveh, you need to tell them that they're following me, you need to go there, show them who their Lord, true Lord is. And what does Jonah do? Well, it just so happened to be a ship leaving that I'm going to jump on and I can get out of doing this job that God wants me to do. And so he jumps on the ship and the ship has a big, gets, gets involved in a big storm and by a very unusual transport route, God puts Jonah back on dry land via the use of a big fish. What an amazing story. And then what happens? He goes to Nineveh and he preaches God's word and it is accepted. And Paul is like the Moses. Paul is like the Gideon. Paul is like the Jonah. Unsure. Not having, inter- not having strength from inside. And we're like that as well. Not having those strengths. And you know why? Why is it that we constantly have this problem? It's because we try and measure ourselves on a human scale. If we could take a ruler and put it beside us and say this is our character, it would all be a human scale because we look very much from the outside. I'll tell you a funny story. A couple of, uh, couple of months back, I was meeting someone outside of Abu Dhabi in, um, in a sort of desert area, and we didn't know quite where to meet, but we both knew where there was a fuel station. So we decided that's where we would meet, and I got there early, about half an hour early, because it was a long way, and he called me, said, I'm running late, about half an hour late. So I then had about an hour of free time wondering what to do. So I went inside the fuel station. It was like any other fuel station. They have these shops, and they have a refreshment area, and I got some tea or some coffee, and I was drinking that, looking at my watch, thinking, five minutes, gone. And I had some donuts and cakes and things like that. I wasn't that hungry, so I started to walk around. It's amazing what they sell in these shops. They have all manner of things. They have drinks and food and candy and snacks and all these different things. They have bits for your car. And as I'm strolling around killing time, I come across these three bottles on one of the shelves. Three bottles of aftershave. Men's aftershave. And I thought, why would anyone drive an hour out into the desert to buy aftershave? But obviously they thought this was important to sell. And I had a lot of time to use up. So I approached these bottles, and one of them was called, you can see it made an impression on me. By the way, I'm not a great uh, aftershave expert, so um, bear with me here. One of them was called Gentleman. Gentleman. Sort of manly sort of name, isn't it? The one in the middle was called Executive. Executive. And then the one beside that was called Chance. Sort of a bit of a risk. The man that wears this can take a risk. Chance. But they all looked the same. So, well, I opened up the top of the first one. Smelt it. It was a very bland kind of smell. And I put the lid back on. I thought, well, that's what uh, gentleman smells like. I'll try executive. And I tried executive, and guess what? It smelled exactly the same. And needless to say, chance was also exactly the same. 
And you know that I thought that's interesting because here someone or someone has said on the outside we will try and give this impression, but on the inside, you know, it's exactly the same. And we're a bit like that ourselves before God, aren't we? On the outside, we might try and be different people, but on the inside, we're very much the same. We are failed. We have failed God. And Paul is quite happy and open to express this to the church as part of his witness, his Christian witness. He says, I didn't come to you with any special powers. I didn't come to you with anything that I could generate myself. It's important to know where we are before God. It's important to know where we stand. So Paul has said, I'm not bringing anything. And then we go to this next verse, verse 2. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Jesus Christ and him crucified. I think that is one of the most beautiful passages in Scripture. For I, I don't need anything else except Jesus Christ and him crucified. It doesn't take Paul long to come around in his letter to remind the church of what their need is. Because it's the same need that he has. And it's the same need that we have. We had a very famous prime minister in the UK called Winston Churchill. And he led the country during uh, the Second World War. And in 1941, while it was still very early into the war, he was sending out petitions to many countries, particularly North America. And in one famous speech, he said, give us the tools and we'll finish the job. Give us the tools and we'll finish the job. And you know, we could really say that of Christ, couldn't we? Give us Christ and we'll get the job done. And that's what Paul's saying. That's, what, that's all that I need. Do you know, I thank God this is, this is a gospel-centered church. And I hope you already sense that and how important that is. When you come here, you hear the gospel. When you come here, you, you're reminded of what Christ has done for you. And you're reminded of that in the, in the ministry and in the songs and in the children's church and in our communion. And that is so important because many churches have actually lost that. And, and the church in Corinth was losing that. But let's just for a moment imagine that we come into this church and it's all a bit different. And this church then becomes a representation of what can be really important in our lives. Now we're saying while we're here together now that Christ is important, and he is. But imagine if we let all the other things into church that were important. What would we see as, as we're handed a, 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 something as we walk in, maybe a small card, piece of paper to tell you what's going on? Maybe we'd look over in one corner, and there'd be a mobile phone store. Mobile phones are really important to us. And maybe if we looked in the other corner, we'd see a bank. Because, you know, banks, we need money. Money is important. And maybe in the centerpiece, there would be a big mirror so we could look at ourselves. Because we're important. Check our hair. Check our clothes. Check how we're standing. 
It would be ludicrous, wouldn't it? It would be stupid to come into church and to see those things. But how many times do we walk in to a service and they are in our head? And that's what we're thinking about. And that's what is the priority in our thoughts. How mad it would be if in the benediction, in our closing, we had a verse of scripture and then whoever was up the front said, I just want to remind you, about our special iPhone offer at the back of the church before you all go. It would be silly. But, you know, they sometimes are the things that become very, very important to us. And, in, and Paul had identified that in the church. Corinth, here you are with all your trade. Here you are with all your success. Here you are with all your culture. And you need to get back into the focus of what is important. And that is to know Jesus Christ and him crucified. Fabulous words. What an amazing uh, way that God speaks through Paul. You know, my example of the church is not, uh, of having all these strange things in the church, is not too far-fetched. Matthew chapter 21. Who knows the story when Jesus went to the temple and what did he do? He turned over the the tables uh, of the traders and said, this is my father's house. This is my father's house. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That is a great message for a Christian witness. A great, great message that we've got to carry as we think of our witness before others. As we think of our witness in our families, in our homes, in our workplaces, and with our friends. And then, he set the church up, he's got them together, and he, he's sparring, and in comes his knockout punch to the, to the church at Corinth in this letter. In comes the, uh, the punch that's really going to finish it all off. And he says in verse 5, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power, on God's power. So where are we? We don't have anything that we can offer ourselves. He's reminded everyone of that. He said, I don't have those skills. I was frightened. I was nervous. But I'm focusing on the person of Jesus Christ and him crucified. And now I can rest on his power, not on human wisdom, but on God's power. We're brought up, really, in our education and our life's experiences to try and rely on ourselves. I'll deal with this problem. I'll get it sorted. I'm able to, to resolve the issue. We have this great belief in our own wisdom. And what God's saying through Paul is, uh-uh, that isn't going to work. You need to rely on me. And this is exactly what was happening in the church at Corinth. And this is exactly what can happen to any church when we start to rely on man's wisdom. And Paul puts them straight very, very quickly. He says, you've got to get away from that, and you have to rely on God's power. He starts with a negative. Don't rely on your own wisdom and moves to a positive, but rely on God's power. It's a hard lesson for us to learn, a very hard lesson. 
It's a great story in Scripture. Probably worth a sermon in itself. It was about Jesus when he's with the disciples. It's in, you can find it in Matthew chapter 14, and it's also in, other, in the other Gospels. And he's with the crowds, and it's been a very, I'd imagine, very busy, a very emotional, a very special time. And he says to his disciples, I want to pray. I want to pray by myself. And there's good lessons in that alone, but it's just taking time aside by yourself to pray. And he puts the disciples into a boat. Uh, and they, they cross the water, uh, or they're uh, crossing to a place called Gennesaret, uh, across the Sea of Galilee. And they're all huddled up in their boat, and the waves start to pick up. The weather moves in. It's a bit choppy. They get thrown about. They are worried. And I imagine that their worry scale started off quite low and then went higher and higher and higher. And before long, they are really being thrown about. We've got to understand the context of this. They didn't have two big mercury outboard motors on the back of their boat. They could just fire up and get themselves sorted. They didn't have life rafts, and probably they weren't very good swimmers if they could swim at all. So they were in a state of panic as this boat was getting thrown about in the water. And they must have wondered, how did we get to this? One minute we're with our Lord Jesus Christ. We are safe. We are secure. We are in comfort. And the next minute we're in this place where we could all die. And in the midst of their fear, Jesus walks out on the water to them. Imagine what that must have been like. What a sight. He walks out on the water to them. And you know, it's still choppy, and the boat's still getting thrown about. And Peter says, Lord, if it's you, let me come out to you. Let me walk on the water to you. And so Jesus encourages Peter to come. He steps out onto the water. And as he starts to walk across, he sees the waves. He sees the storm. And he starts to sink. And at that point, Peter, he's relying on what? He's relying on his own wisdom. He's relying on his own faith. He's relying on everything he thinks it's going to take to get across that water. And he starts to sink. And he shouts, Lord, save me, save me as he's going under, and our Lord God stretches out his hand and pulls them up and says, you have little faith. And in the boat, they say, truly, you are the Son of God. Do you know, we've got to thank Peter, because Peter is us. That's us. That's us stepping out, thinking that we can do it all, but knowing that we really need the power of God. Knowing that without him we cannot do anything. Thank you, Peter. You do put your foot in it a few times, but you put your foot in it for us because that's what we're like. So Paul is saying to the church here, don't rely on your own wisdom. Rely on my power. And I can imagine the church getting this message and saying, wow, you know, we've maybe been, we've gone a bit astray here. Maybe we should have been working just that little bit harder. Maybe we should have been just that little bit more trust, trusting of what God 
has been teaching us. Human wisdom was not enough. So how can we conclude this passage this morning? How do we think that God speaks to us? What is our Christian witness like as we go from this place? Are we honest enough to say that you know, we don't really have any real ability ourselves, that we are fearful when we come to do God's work, that we are uncertain, that we don't have the skill sets that uh, we so often think we need, yet are we honest enough also to realize that God is going to use us whatever we bring to him? Just like Paul, a man, the persecutor at one time of Christians, was used by God, God will use us. He doesn't waste anything. He doesn't waste our lives. So he's going to use us. And what do we need to do to be used? We need to think and be reminded and dwell on and study and pray about the person of Christ who died for us. And in him dying has given us hope, has given us forgiveness, has given us assurance for eternity in being with God he has made us clean. And Paul knew that. Do we know that? Do we know that when we go out and witness? Do we know that as Christians, as we share in what God is doing in our lives and look upon all the paths he set for us in the future? Paul knew it, and so should we. So we come before him, unworthy, and through Christ we are worthy. And lastly, like Peter, um, we need to drop our own wisdom and reach out and say, save me. And just the same God that had command over the waves and the storm and the sea and that whole situation reaches out to save Peter and bring him up. He brings us up and puts us in a position of power, his power. So I said to you at the start of this um, time of ministry, you know, sometimes, do you have a favorite movie? Do you have a favorite book, favorite chapter and a book perhaps? Well, I hope you can see why this is such a great piece of scripture because it encapsulates all those very special things that God wants us to know to be a good witness for him. The church here in Abu Dhabi is a very special place. God has brought you here. He hasn't brought you here just to meet with other people. He hasn't brought you here just because it's a nice thing to do on a Friday morning. He's brought you here for a purpose. Now, I don't know what that purpose is, but he's brought you here for a reason. And I really pray, as I hope all of us will pray, that that is to be a better witness for him in all that we do. Let's pray together. Dear God, we thank you for your word and for what it means to us. And we thank you for the many examples in scripture that you, you share with us, that you've spoken through men, 
of the lives of so many people changed by you, ruined lives, but lives which are then brought to a position of prominence. Lord, we think of the church in Corinth and how so many of the things in that place could be reflected here. We're distracted. We take solitude in earthly things. Yet we're also reminded, Lord, that we are to focus on you. And it's not what we bring, it's what you do with us. And we can do this because you died for us. That you have opened up a way to make us clean before you for eternity. And from that, Lord, we pray that we might experience that wonderful power that comes from you that it might manifest itself in our lives. For this we ask now in your wonderful and in your precious name. Amen.